Good morning. I hope that everyone had a happy Thanksgiving and that even in the midst of a holiday which may, be, may have been a little bit different for most of us because of COVID-19, that uh, you still found many reasons for which to be thankful. Uh, I've been especially thankful for this series of lessons which has been entitled uh, imp <laughs> Imprint. All of a sudden I got implant on the mind. Maybe I need an implant of some sort, but uh, which is entitled Imprint. And uh, I'm especially thankful for the people who have brought these lessons week in and week out because they have helped us to understand the way that Jesus impacted the lives of those who were around him in the simple things that he did, as well as in the miraculous things that he did. And as we look at the way that Jesus encountered people in his ministry, I want us this morning to look at a lesson which I have entitled Jesus, the imprinted word imprinted upon us. Clyde Thompson was born in the 1920s, so about 100 years ago almost. And uh, more and more people have become familiar with his story as a result of uh, the movie that has come out not long ago. But uh, he was born in Oklahoma uh, and uh, traveled and moved around a lot with his father. And eventually, in his later teen years, he and uh, a couple of friends of his were out one night, and uh, basically they were up to no good. And as a result of this, uh, two men who were of uh, good character and who were known in the community were uh, shot and killed. The result of that was that uh, Clyde was sentenced to death in the electric chair. Now, at about the last minute before Clyde was executed, uh, his sentence was commuted to life imprisonment, and he was uh, to do hard labor in uh, a penal camp. And so he was moved to one of these camps where he was to, to do this hard labor, and while he was there, he continued to get into more and more trouble. And as a result, um, he was then convicted of another murder, and he was accused of several more murders. Uh, and, and he was so bad in his behavior that uh, the workers at the prison uh, proclaimed him to be the meanest man in Texas. One chaplain who was working at the prison there uh, said that uh, Clyde Thompson was indeed a man without a soul. And because he kept getting into so much trouble, they wanted to isolate him from the rest of the prison population. And so finally what they decided to do was they emptied out a portion of the morgue which was right next to the execution uh, chamber. And it, all it had in it was four concrete slabs where they would set the coffins. And that became Clyde's cell. And he would receive his meals there, and, and that was it. Eventually, he was brought a Bible, and he wanted the Bible 
because he wanted to be able to go through it and point out all the reasons that everyone who believed in what was written there was a fool. And the more that he read it, the more he came to understand what he was reading. And as he did so, the more he began to believe and accept what he was reading. And so he became a believer in God as he studied the Word of God. And he became to understand his own need for salvation. And he came to understand and appreciate the Jesus story. And as he saw his own need for salvation and he saw what Jesus had to offer, he knew that he needed a Savior like Jesus. And so he wanted to be saved from his sins, and so he wanted to be baptized for the remission of his sins. And he continued to study and to study from the Word of God, so much so that he began to write articles and to send them in to various Christian publications. Well, with the passage of time, eventually Clyde was paroled. It's kind of hard to believe that the meanest man in Texas would eventually be paroled, but he was. And he spent the remaining years of his life as a prison minister. And in fact, the, the very last years of his life were spent right here in Lubbock, Texas, as a prison minister working with the Sunset Church of Christ. So we see in his story the work that the Word of God in its simplicity, in its clarity, in its power, can have on the life of even the worst of sinners. If I say to you, in the beginning, you almost naturally finish that statement with, God created the heavens and the earth from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, depending on where you have been reading most recently in your Bibles, your mind may also turn to John chapter 1 and verse 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you're a, a real uh, Bible trivia uh, student, uh, your mind may also race to what you have read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, which says something similar, though not exactly the same, when we read that that which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld, what we have handled with our hands concerning the word of life, We all recognize by faith that creation is the work of God, that it is God himself who made everything that we can see around us in the natural world, and we are the recipients of the blessings that come because we too are a part of God's creation. But if we were to go on reading in the Gospel of John chapter 1, it would further say that he was in, in speaking of the Word, he was in the beginning with God, 
and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Did you catch what John said in verse 3 at the beginning of what I was saying? That apart from the word, that is Jesus Christ, nothing has been created that has been created. So when we think in Genesis chapter 1 about the creation of the world, our minds ought to think about Jesus as the agent of creation. So what does that look like to us? It means that it was Jesus who caused light to exist. It means that it was Jesus who separated the waters from the dry land. It means that it was the Word of God, our Savior, who brought forth the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. It was his creative power that caused the animals to walk upon the dry land and ultimately that when God said, let's make man in our own image, that he was the one who carved man out of the dust of the earth, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Nothing came into being apart from the word of God. John would also write in the first chapter of his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. And then he would finish up his introduction to his gospel with these words in verse 18 of John chapter 1. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him to us. What I'm saying is that Jesus is the full imprint of God. And he is the one who causes the imprint of God to be seen in creation, in scripture, and in us. He alone is the one who can give us eternal life and to bring order out of chaos in our existence. He alone is the one who can give us a destiny like no other that is based upon a value which he assigns to us when he says to us as his children, yes, it is good. Because he gives to us his righteousness. That is what the word does for us. It's sort of strange to think about it in terms of Jesus being the Word and yet at the same time, Jesus using the Word when he did become flesh and dwelt among men. But that's exactly what we find in the Gospels. 
Jesus as God incarnate was spending time with the Word. And it's obvious, I think, when we read in Scripture that Scripture was his constant companion. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem's stable, he came into this world like any other little baby that has been born, probably screaming and crying like any other baby. He needed to be fed, he needed to be changed, he needed to be held, he needed to be pr protected, he needed the help of his parents, and he had to go through the whole learning process as a human being. It's not right for us to think in human terms that Jesus was born as that little infant and yet he had some great superior intellect as an adult crammed inside of a little infant. That's not true. Nor is it proper for us to think that as an infant lying in the stable, that for, from a spiritual perspective, that he also had everything that he possibly needed at that moment in time in order to understand all biblical truth. That is not what the Bible presents to us. But rather, Jesus had to grow up just like each and every one of us. Now, if you're unsure about what I'm saying at this moment, if that seems to, to go against your thoughts of who Jesus is, consider what happened to Jesus when he was 12 years old. When we look in Luke chapter 4, verses 41 through 52, this is uh, an event when Jesus and his family goes up to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the feast. And at the end of the feast, his family heads back toward Nazareth, thinking that Jesus is among the group of people that are traveling that direction. But Jesus has stayed behind back in Jerusalem. And so his parents begin to search for him, and they spend three days looking for him before they finally find him. And then when they do find him, he's in the temple, and he is asking questions, and he is giving answers to the chief priests that are there. When he is asked by his parents what he is doing, he says, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Even at that age, in his searching, and I'm sure in the teaching of his parents, he's come to understand who he is. And so he has tried to live up to who he has been told that he is. And he's been learning and learning. Now watch what happens with Jesus. They leave the temple and they head back to Nazareth. And when they get to Nazareth, Scripture says, when we get to verse, verse 52 of Luke chapter 2, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In four areas, Jesus grew. He grew physically, intellectually, spiritually, and in another way, he grew in wisdom, stature, 
Well, how about that? He grew in four ways, but he grew spiritually, is, is what that's saying. So uh, maybe that implant is really what I'm needing at this point. But Jesus was being imprinted by the Word of God. Now, in, in a real way, that kind of blows my mind, that the incarnate Word is being implanted is being imprinted with the Word of God. As Jesus grew up and began his earthly ministry, everything that Jesus did showed that he was dedicated to the use of the Word of God in his life. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and there he is tempted by Satan. And surely you know the story, that with every temptation that Satan brings his way, Jesus answers him doing what? He uses scripture in order to uh, strengthen himself and to answer uh, Satan's false claims. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, Jesus goes to the synagogue uh, back home. And there he's given the scroll uh, of Isaiah, and he opens it up, and he, he reads the scroll, where it says in, in verses 18 and following, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus knew the Word of God, but he also understood how it should be applied. And that is the expectation and the encouragement of God for each and every woman and man living upon this planet at this time. God wants us to spend time in his Word. He wants us to know what it says and he wants us to then begin to apply it in its proper way. And by spending time with Jesus in the Gospels, we can allow him to imprint himself upon us, just as he did with his disciples, and then we can be able to apply it in a right manner as well. And Jesus not only had the Word of God and used the Word of God, but he imprinted that Word of God upon his disciples. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses 28 and 29, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus has said uh, everything that he has wanted to say on this occasion. And when the people have heard uh, all of his teachings, it says that they were amazed at what he said. 
because he has spoken to them not in a way like the scribes and the other teachers of the law have done, but rather he speaks to them as one having authority. Why? Because he knew and he understood the word of God. And he was able to deliver that to other people in such a way that, that it was obvious to them. And it was something that they wanted to have for themselves. And it was something that they wanted to live out. And Jesus made that kind of a difference in their lives. Jesus believed and taught that every word of God should be obeyed and completely fulfilled. He would say that every word was to be fulfilled and that, you know, not a single jot or tittle of the word should pass away uh, until everything is fulfilled. And Jesus made sure that everything was fulfilled. And we see him saying that even during his ministry all the way up to the cross. And it wasn't until even the elements of the cross, which had been prophesied in Scripture, not until each and every one of those were done, would Jesus then finally say, it is finished. It's completed. That's the way that Jesus viewed Scripture. And Jesus imprinted his own authority upon his words. I want to share with us in sort of rapid succession for just a moment the way that Jesus felt about his word. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus would say, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. In Mark chapter 8 and in verse 38, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. In John chapter 5, verse 47, Jesus says, But if you believe not his writings, that is the Old Testament, how shall you believe my words? And in John chapter 12, verse 47, And if any man hears my words and believes them not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. In John chapter 12, verse 48, He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. And Jesus will say in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So I think that it's very clear that Jesus saw his word as being authoritative, that he saw it being powerful in the lives of others, and he did so and he, he spoke of it in the terms that I've just shared because he knew its value in the life of each and every person. And he knew the way that it could change them out of their sins into purity 
of heart and righteousness and life eternal with God. And it was because of that earnestness that Jesus says, take my word seriously. And Jesus, of course, sends forth his word. We know that Jesus sent forth his word with the limited commission in Matthew chapter 10 through his disciples. We know from such texts as John chapter 14 and verse 15 that Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit so that when he come, came that uh, the apostles would remember the things that they had been taught and so that they could go out and be representatives for Christ. And of course, we also know Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus would say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you know what? The early disciples took that to heart. They did just what Jesus commanded them to do. They obeyed his word, they waited for the Holy Spirit to come in Jerusalem, and then their task of imprinting had begun. And by the grace of God, their work was successful. Their work was so successful in sharing the gospel and in bringing people to Christ and in transforming lives that the religious leaders called them in to them and they commanded them to stop. But the apostles were unwilling to stop. And they said, you judge for yourselves what is right, whether to obey God who has told us to do this or whether it's uh, right to stop when you tell us to stop. But we've got to tell you something according to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. There is no other name given under heaven by which men might be saved. Now this is not what the religious leaders wanted to hear. And we look then in verse 13 that having seen the way in which these apostles were speaking and the authoritative manner in which they were delivering this word and were encountering the people on the streets and even the way in which they were speaking to the council themselves, they took note that these men had not been trained in the rabbinical schools and that they hadn't been trained in the classical sense, but they took note of this, that they had been with Jesus. Ah, you see, they had been with Jesus. His imprint had been upon them. And now they were imprinting that upon others. And it was obvious to anyone who was willing to see it. And not only were they willing to imprint that on those who were clo close by 
in Jerusalem, but they were willing to go wherever they needed to go in order to see that that imprint was carried throughout the world. They went to Samaria, to Lida and Joppa for Peter, and ultimately to Rome, where he was likely crucified upside down. John will ultimately go to Ephesus and to Patmos. Paul will make three missionary journeys around the Mediterranean world. And history will tell us that some of the apostles went to Europe, to Africa, and even as far as India. The early disciples who were imprinted by the apostles did all the same things. To see what this looked like, one need look no further than Acts chapters 2 through 4. And in particular, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it tells us that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is Jesus' imprint. Are these not the same things that Jesus did with his apostles for three and a half years? And what do we find these people doing? They're devoted to what the apostles said, which is what Jesus said. And they are doing then the same things that they saw the apostles do. They are not only studying the word, but they are living the word. They are fellowshipping with each other. They're breaking bread together. And they are giving to one another, so much so that they sold their properties in order to care for one another. That is sacrifice. And that is what our Savior was all about. And they also went. They went to Samaria and Antioch. And ultimately, in all creation under heaven, according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. But what about today? I'd like to spend just a couple of brief moments speaking of the imprint that is coming as a result of uh, one of the ministries of this congregation, which is at the Sunset International Bible Institute, and what we are doing to train preachers, teachers, and uh, ministry leaders. We're doing all that we can to share that imprint. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, The things which you have heard from me, the same in the presence of many witnesses, the same commit also to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So from generation to generation, we want to share that imprint. And then we want that imprint to then travel to those near and far. And according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. So today, at sunset, we share the imprint 
and we send the imprint. One of the ways in which we do that is through our residential studies program. And this is what we have been doing since the very first days of SIBI, back in 1962, right here in Lubbock, training people to know the Word of God, helping them to study each and every book, helping them to know Jesus intimately so that their lives can not simply be a repetition of, of His words, not so that their, their lives can uh, be one that, that quotes the Bible, but so that their lives can be changed so that the Holy Spirit can bear His fruit in their lives, and so that the world can all know that this also is one upon whom Jesus has made His mark. And that is what we are trying to do in our residential program. And thousands upon thousands of people have come through our residential program. And as a result, those who have come here have felt and received that imprint. We also are trying to, and we are, having an effect upon those who are of a college age through our AIM program. They come here and they study for eight months in order to go out and to work with a seasoned missionary and their uh, time then on the field may be from about 12 to 18 months and as they do so they too are encountering Jesus they are learning what it means to walk in his shoes they are learning what it means to go uh, to a neighborhood here in Lubbock and to be Jesus to someone else they come here and they are learning uh, what it means to have, perhaps for the very first time in their life, a prayer life which allows them to have a deeper relationship with God than they have ever known or thought that they could have. And the result is that the imprint of Jesus and the Word of God is felt and shown in their life. Another area that SIBI is working is in our deaf ministry program. A group of people in our world that is often overlooked are the deaf because very often people cannot communicate with them. In many homes where the deaf live, their parents cannot even communicate with them properly. And they are not given, in many cases, the kind of education which is going to allow them to be successful in this world. And they long for people to take notice of them. They long for someone to have an interest in them. They long for someone to understand who they are and to know what they are going through. So imagine the reaction that they have when someone comes their way speaking with their hands understanding their culture knowing what it's like to be deaf and then begins to share with them a Jesus 
who knows their hurt, knows their pain, knows their needs, and offers them hope, a better life, and offers them a fellowship that they've never seen before. So people come here to Lubbock, and as they do so, they are taught how to do these things, and then how to go out and to share it with other people. Through our online studies program, we are also helping people all around the U.S. to be able to learn uh, in a self-paced manner. They may not be able to come here to Lubbock, but they still want to learn. And so they do so by logging into our site and uh, through their studies and through the extra things that we have them doing, the imprint of Jesus is being seen. But we do not do that simply here, but we want that imprint to be sent out and to go. And so we have the, uh, our International Studies Department, which takes the Word of God around the world. We have more than 70 ministry training schools in more than 40 nations of the world. People who are studying the Word of God at a level that they never thought would be possible. And as they do so, their lives are being changed and they are able to become like the Jesus that they never knew. We are also doing that through our solar distribution, where we are taking the Word of God to those who are in need of hearing the Word of God but don't have access to books. They may not have access to uh, electricity. And so the only way in which they can get it is uh, through a, a solar-operated, op, a solar-powered uh, apparatus that contains the entire Word of God and the entire curriculum of the Sunset International Bible Institute. And uh, what we have uh, here in this image before you is one of our brothers in Ethiopia who has uh, taken his solar player and he has worked and to plant 20 congregations uh, as a result of what he is learning, not only in our school, but through the solar player as well. But ultimately, it's not simply about what God is doing through SIBI today, uh, through the years past or today. It isn't simply about what God is doing through the Sunset Church of Christ in the past or today. Ultimately, it is about what Jesus, the Word of God, wants to do for each and every one of you today. Because the Word has been given, and those ancient words have been copied and protected and preserved all of these years 
so that you too can read the Word of God just like Clyde Thompson did and so that you can have an understanding of who Jesus is. And so I want to challenge us today to go to the Word of God and to read it honestly and to take it into our hearts and to pay attention to what it says because Jesus longs to recreate each and every one of us out of the chaos that is in our lives. And he longs to take away our sins and to give us the abundant life that is found only in him. And so this morning, if you are interested in becoming a Christian or if you are in need of the spiritual assistance of this church, you can go to canwehelpyou at sunset.cc.